So as I was getting ready for today's episode, I was thinking about the fact that this guy and I have, we managed to play music around Atlanta for many, many years, basically with the same people, and never played a gig with each other until, I don't know, five or six years ago. And we finally did, and as I told him, it was absolutely worth the wait. And uh, I'm happy to have my buddy, Mr. Mark Strickland, on the show today. Hey, Mark. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, taking a little while to sit down and and us talk about how much we hate playing with each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm it's really terrible. excited about it. It's terrible. It's, uh, it's just, it's never any fun. I'm glad we waited all those years. You know, it was, <laughs> I think the reason it was worth it is I owed you 50 bucks. I think it was, it was, it was it, there was money involved. So. That's, that's most likely what it was. Yeah. yeah. And our first gig, we can talk about all this later, but I think our first gig was at the Georgia, South Carolina rest area. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Big crowd. Yeah, we, we got hired with uh, Across the Wide to play a Welcome to Georgia event. Yeah, yeah. And all of these different travel destinations in the state of Georgia would set up booths, and we got hired by the Georgia Mountain Fair to play music for everyone that came in. So everyone that rolled in to go to the bathroom on their way to Atlanta walked in and was like, what in the world is a country band doing in the middle of this venue? Yeah, in the lobby. In the lobby of the rest area. But, but they did get to see us twice, you know, on the way That's to it. the bathroom and the way out of the bathroom. So. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we we probably made some people need to go to the bathroom. And uh, they're like, wow, listen to these guys. Yeah. So that was that was quite a quite a first way to uh, to start playing together. But it was, like I said, it was worth the wait. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, hear about your journey and what got you here. So, uh, the folks that are listening can't see what I'm seeing, but you have this beautiful drum kit behind you, and it looks like you have a studio uh, that you're uh, doing this from? Yeah, I do uh, online tracks, and I've got a studio here in Cartersville. uh, Actually, I rent space from a buddy of mine's studio called the After Dark Studio. He's been over here probably 20 years doing various you know how it is for studio ownership he does all acts you know hip-hop acts singer-songwriters acapella groups gospel groups rock groups you name it but yeah i do online tracks and i've got some some various drums set up and all my recording kits and all that stuff and don't tell Kelly I've got all this stuff over here. She didn't, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know half, half of the things that I've bought in the last little bit. Yeah, well, luckily this is just audio only, yeah, so yeah. she she you, all I see is one symbol and one snare drum, <laughs> Kelly. So that's all. That's, that's all it is. That's all I have. Yeah. That's that's, all I have. Yes, I, I could do all the work with just that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, where were you born? Where were you raised? I was raised in Ackworth. Um, back when I was a kid, Ackworth was literally a one red light town, and we watched it grow from, you know, from that to to what it is now. It, it seems like years ago, even when I was a teenager in the '80s, nobody really knew where Ackworth was at. You know, it was it was on the map, and it was just on 75, just up from Atlanta. But it was such a small town, and didn't really have a lot to offer. It's grown quite a bit now, and um, but yeah, yeah. I've spent. All of my youth there. My father is from Ackworth. My mother is from Ackworth. Four or five generations of on both sides of that family. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. So. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have two older brothers. 
Larry and Scott, and they are uh, that's right much older than I am, and not quite as handsome. I got all the looks, and you know, you know how that goes. Well, I mean, yeah. Again, I'm glad this is an audio only, yeah. Uh, show. <laughs> yeah, I got two older brothers, and um, they have kids of their own. They're a couple great grandkids for my mother, and. You know, there's the, the, the family's grown quite a bit over the years. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how did the music bug get to you? Were people doing it in your family? How how did it come your way? Purely accidental. My middle, my my next closer to age to me, Larry, uh, my brother Larry. He got married fairly young. I think at eighteen. But before he got married, he would sit in his bedroom and air drum with headphones on to whatever was the hit of the day. And the one that I remember the most was the Phil Collins song, In the Air Tonight. And that was his big moment to shine. You know, my brother would wait three minutes for that Phil to come around. <laughs> and even to this day, I still look up to him as a as, you know, a major influence in my life. He's just a good man and a good father and a good grandfather. Um, but even, you know, back then, I totally sort of kind of wanted to be like him he fished i tried fishing you know i tried all the things that he did so i thought well i'll i'll give this little drumming thing a shot you know mtv was kind of out and it was happening and you could see shots of drummers and then of course they look cool to me so um so i started doing the same thing and then he moved out and then i had to sort of learn all that on my own and just and for some reason, almost 40 years into this, I can't figure out why, but I was able to keep the, the coordination with the hi-hat, the kick drum, and the snare drum right out of the gate. I don't know how it happened. It just fell naturally to me. That's awesome. And, so when did that stop working? Uh, um, you know, the, the day we met? The gig that we played? Yeah, it was okay, just, it was, it was leading into that. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I derailed that train <laughs> yes, the day we met. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. Just when I thought I had you it know, all together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I have. I was an only child, but um, my mom's younger brother, Darren, who's uh, he passed away about a year ago. He was like a big brother to me, and it was the same kind of thing. I started playing drums because he played me Rush albums when I was a kid. And I was like, what is this? You know, anything that he liked, I liked as well. Yeah. And I've latched on to it. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing that the power of the influence of having an older sibling or an older relative that you look up to changes the, the course of your life. Yeah, for sure. It seems like in the front of the house, in the kitchen area of the house, my mom, all, it seems like she always had a radio on. And it was always, I think it was WCHK in Canton and it was old even back in the 80s early 80s or late 70s it was thought of as traditional country it was Patsy Cline and, and Webb Pierce and, and Hank Williams and it was all the stuff that we still love today but that was sort of the front of the house you know mom and dad are you know church going Christian Baptist in the back of the house it was a different story so <laughs> two older brothers one is seven years older than me, so you can imagine what music, you know, he was into Ted Nugent and Boston and ELO, as well as Hank Williams Jr. And, you yeah. know, all, you know, uh, Charlie Daniels and all those 
early 80s country guys. So I had both of those. Oh, Kiss was a big one, too. We used to sit and stare at those albums. Man, what a life that would be. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just I think just those, those long before I knew I wanted to be a musician, the, 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 the various styles of music were, were seeping into my subconscious. You know, they were f- formulating a plan. And that's that's partially what led me down this road that that you're on as well, with playing in a rock cover band one night, and then doing Patsy Cline covers the next night, or or, yeah. or somewhere in that you know the, the, the genre switch is not that big of a deal, because it's in our DNA, I think. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that I mean, how many times have someone called up a song? <clears throat> that you don't remember hearing for the last 25 years and suddenly you're playing it and you're like, oh yeah, I remember every note of this because you listened to it a hundred times in your bedroom when you were growing up. I mean, that's happened to me so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a, what, a, yeah. What, a, what a great asset to have for for working musicians like us. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's right. invaluable. I did a gig Sunday night for New Year's with a dance band that I hadn't played with in a year and it was Good times, and we are family, and you know, La Freak, and 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 all those hits. The night before, I was playing in Fort Payne, Alabama, and we played Free Bird and Night Moves, and you know, <laughs> it, you know, and 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 and, and the Fireman. <laughs> so, so, but you, variety is the spice of life, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I I love that. You know, I love seeing other musicians get inside that and become the drummer that played on the fireman and then the you know and then the next guy is tony thompson who played with uh, you know good times he becomes that guy you know i I, i'm not so sure i'm good at it but i enjoy the fact that other people are really good at it and i I, I strive to sort of you know go down that path well i promise you are and and it's not it's not a simple feat to take one hat off and put another one on you know it, whether from one night to the next or from one song to the next and be able to play one style and and to do the style justice right it's one thing to play the style and that but it's to play it the right way and then play something completely different the next tune yeah. or the next night and and then honor it the, the same way yeah yeah i feel the same yeah when did you get your first piece of percussion equipment snare drum or drum set or drumsticks how old were you i I was a late bloomer you know i I, I, going back to air drumming in my bedroom i thought i was ready um and a kid at high school who i'll never forget his name i don't know how to get in touch with him anymore lost touch named gordon triola his dad at one time was a uh, sub drummer for the Doobie Brothers. I don't know any more specifics other than that. So we were in homeroom together, and I mentioned air drumming or just you know having an interest in drums. We didn't know where a music store was at. We didn't know as far as my mom and dad. My fa- we did. I didn't come from a music background. We didn't know how much a drum set cost. How heavy they were going to be to haul in at Smith's Old Bar. <laughs> up, up those wonderful stairs in the back. Up those steps. Yeah. Had I known those things, <laughs> I yeah. would have chosen the flute. Um, <laughs> but no, I had, a, I had, you know, I, I, 
it, it, which no other instrument for me. I mean, that was that was going to be it. So um, I think if I've got the timing right, it was probably the winter of eighty five. No, eighty six. So yeah, I was a late bloomer. I mean, we went and got the a, a, a Ludwig kit. My dad complained because the snare drum was a different color than the kit. Which is typical. It was a chrome right. snare drum and, a, and sort of a Brandywine uh, Ludwig five-piece kit. And I thought, man, my first kit is going to be a Ludwig kit. This is, I've made it. This is great. That's pretty awesome that, that they entrusted you with it to set you on the path. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And, I, and, and the only reason I knew the name Ludwig is from magazines and uh, my buddy Gordon Triola, who had, he, he had a Pearl kit that, you know, I knew, I knew the name Pearl and Ludwig, I guess. And probably saw it on MTV or something. You know, I knew it was name brand. So when it was sitting in the showroom window, I thought, well, that's the kit for me. And my dad said, well, you can have them, but you got to pay me back $50 a week. And I was working. I was bagging groceries. So I said, yeah, absolutely. Oh wait! I got to pay for the car payment and the insurance, and now drums. Wow! <laughs> if it wasn't for this yeah, money thing, we'd have it made. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, how long after that did you start playing with people? Uh, about a year. Um, I tried my best. I skipped school as often as possible. Stayed home and really just practiced to to records. Mm -hmm. trying my best to learn how to play along to records and stopping and starting and ending and that sort of thing and I still you know it, it I'm still amazed at this but I had no bearing I had no anchor saying Mark you know you should get drum lessons I did I think for the longest time I didn't really know that that an education in drums and percussion existed I didn't know obviously didn't know how to read music it was it was all a feel thing, and so yeah. But I practice at home playing along to Huey Lewis records and and the outfield records and um, anything you could. ACDC was one we had. Back in Black was one that I could sort of you know find the pocket on and and, and you know. So yeah, about a year, and we we I found some old middle school buddies that I played baseball with growing up, and one of them played guitar. And said, "Come over, man. We'll play Barracuda." Little did I know about the time change in Barracuda that you know <laughs> that throws you. Oh, the other one was Holy Diver by Dio. Wow, he, yeah, he couldn't play it either, <laughs> <laughs> but he could play the riff to Barracuda. So he was he was a notch ahead of me. So when did you play your first paying gig? When, when, when is that gig we have with you coming up? <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> Wait, they pay? That's, yeah, that's the first one. Yeah, yeah that's uh, later this year. Yeah, that's later. right. <laughs> I think the first paying gig, I, God knows I played a lot of not paying gigs. Uh, we used to play at the rec room, and this was fast forwarding probably into 91. 1991 probably and we played at the rec room quite a bit as a rock band you know we were late to the party with wanting to be in an 80s hair metal band but we were we were young enough to look cool but not hip enough to write really good songs and you know make that happen but but we played at the rec room in a couple places around Atlanta but I think some of those gig gigs paid probably 15 or 20 dollars a piece and that was if yeah. you brought a bunch of people with you. You know how that 
that goes. Sure. And it so that was so that never really felt like making money. It was basically just a a courteous thing, a gesture from the rec room, saying, you know, here's your money, get out of here. We got another band coming on. <laughs> right. Um, but we played. Um, I think the first time I made a hundred dollars was if I had to put a year on it was probably 1995. And I thought, $100? What's, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> <laughs> For playing music, you know? For playing music, yeah. yeah. We only had to rehearse 30 hours. <laughs> we were backing up a bunch of singers in, in Jasper for some kind of country showdown or something. And, um, yeah, we only spent, you know, like I said, 30, 40 hours rehearsing with these singers and 10 hours the day before. And then... Yeah, once you divide up the mileage and the the per hour of it, you're you're probably making you know fifty cents an hour, maybe at best. <laughs> yeah, at best. Yeah, if you factor all that stuff in. But at the same time, it's like it didn't matter, right? Oh, I mean, no, no, it didn't. That's why I, just, that's why I had played. I don't know how many gigs, one hundred fifty gigs leading up to this hundred dollars. You know that that's why I made the way I look at it. That's why I made a hundred dollars on that gig, is because I had played a hundred or so gigs leading up to that, and I've I've put in the time, and I know how to show up to the rehearsal prepared. I know how to show up to the gig prepared, and 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 I, and, and I know all of these things. So I I I'm built this foundation is building is the way I looked at yeah, it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing better than playing with people that show up prepared yeah and i've always appreciated you'd always show up with charts you you'd listen to the tunes when we first started playing together in across the wide man you i know you spent a lot of time learning those all those original tunes it was awesome i mean you just walked in and did it it was fantastic so how long did you tell me again how long did you play at the bug board <clears throat> we were there for 90 uh two years but yeah around rounded off to two years okay. yeah 98 did, to the end of to end of 2000 or so and how did you get into that band? How did you get in Peachtree Station? Uh, I worked at Atlanta Pro Percussion after music school, and um, I, I, I was playing in a corporate band then, not Limelight. That came later, <clears throat> but I was wanting to get back into country because you know that whole thing we were talking about earlier with the genre switching and the and the and the you need this. You get your Patsy Cline and your Hank Williams Jr. fix for a while and then you go well i think i want to play the bgs for a while it's that sort of so i started thinking you know i i, I think i want to start back in a country band mm -hmm. um try that again and lo and behold that day i walked back to the board where they used to post ads for you know musicians wanted and alan sanders the guitar player in peachtree station had just put up a, a flyer needing a drummer and they had Scott and Alan and Keith, who were the main focal point of that band, were from Marietta, but they, a couple years prior, they had moved to Florida to do a house gig in Daytona. And when they moved back, their drummer decided to go to school and marry his sweetheart and stay in Daytona. And so when they moved up here, they needed a drummer and they found me and, and, did a couple rehearsals with them, a couple gigs, um, and they said, "Hey, man, have you ever heard of the Buckboard?" And I said, "Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't, 
at the time I didn't know much about it other than it was you know legendary nightclub for some country artist right they said well we have a chance to be the house band there three nights a week would you be interested yeah a couple hundred bucks a week playing music every week <laughs> yeah so in October the first I think we did a couple of showcases for John um and he was sort of the house band that had been there with Art Hogue and Chuck Heitzman and mm-hmm. uh, Toby, if you yeah. remember Toby. Toby Rucker. Yep. yep. Um, those guys had been there for years. I think Chuck had been there for 20 years when he was finally out. But that was a, 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 a long out for them. You know, there's no. There's, he had to softly let them go over time, and they were ready to go. I think it was an easy transition. So, um, yeah, we, we officially started there as the house band three nights a week in, um, I think it was the first week of October of 98. And I'd only been in Peachtree Station for three months. And I thought those guys were pretty good players and everybody's cool, you know, easy to hang with. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a and lot. You guys, and you guys played together for a long time, didn't you? Not as a band, not necessarily just at the buckboard, but you played together for quite a while, right? We still play together. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> Scott, and I, and Keith have a band called Brother Mojo, with with two other lifelong fr- two other guys that have been lifelong friends that we've also we've known for twenty years, that are from probably the Cedar Town side of Georgia. Uh, Dave Harper and Shannon Wilson, who Shannon Wilson is actually playing in across the wide with us now. That's right. That's exactly right. Funny how things yeah, <laughs> you know, move around and shake. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, Peachtree Station. We, we we you know we played the buttboard, and when the buttboard ended is when I took the corporate gig with the event performance family with with Limelight. And but but Peachtree Station was just like we do. If you don't if you've got a hole in your schedule, and somebody calls. You take the gig. So Peachtree Station sure. continued on through my days with the, the corporate band and, and, and that sort of thing. So, Well, and I think I think you guys were doing what I was doing I was as well back in the early 2000s. I was playing – I would play two or three times a weekend playing these radio remotes for the – country radio stations weren't you guys doing yeah, that too? yeah we did a lot of those man we were we were so busy with kicks and eagle at that time playing all those cell phone stores and car dealerships and what was cool about it is that you could go play a gig from at 11 in the morning and then go play a gig at that night yeah so it was easy to do a double we even there were a few times where we would do three gigs in a day we'd do two radio remotes and then go play a gig that night wow who were yeah. you playing with then remote it was with um this band called timeless highway it was with tommy dodd on steel guitar and mike johnson on electric guitar and um, Kevin Albertson played drums for a while, and then a guy named John Basler played drums. Uh, he started in '01 until we uh, until we stopped playing together. But we were, man, we were busy. I know you guys were too. We, yeah, we certainly played a lot of those remotes, those radio remotes with Moby and Rhubarb and whatever, a number of DJs. Yeah. Um, 
speaking of Timeless Highway, you bring that up. We did a gig with you guys at um, Centennial Olympic Park. I'm not sure yes. what the event was. I'm not sure if you guys played before or after us. But we we, was, we knew you, but not the other guys. Was was that was Colin Ray on that gig and and I know that because I later I, years later played with Colin's keyboard player a lot, okay. Gene LeSage, okay. and I'm pretty sure he was on that gig too. That, so he would have been the headliner. We were maybe setting up for the not really yeah. opening act, but we were the daytime acts for a later yes. later. That's I think we did open for. We'll call I, it open. I want to say, say it was Colin and maybe. I think Kenny Rogers was on that gig, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like, you know, they all run together after a while. I'm pretty sure Kenny Rogers was on that gig. That would be... I don't remember that. Maybe I didn't stick around. That'd be something to see. I I, I have a funny Kenny Rogers story that it, that ties into the butt board and, and, and me and Scott and Alan and, Je, uh, you know, the, the Peachtree Station guys. So John came to us one day and says, hey... Kenny Rogers is going to play at the butt board whatever day of the week this is. He needs, would you, I don't remember how he phrased it, but something along the lines of, would you guys dress the part, corporate attire, you know, business like, and, and sort of hang out in front of the stage during the performance as a buffer, <laughs> like, Security wise, or not really security. I, it was a, it was odd, but God, he sounded good. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, it sounded. And it was the butt board of all places. You know, it's super small. That's a, that's a small place. Yes. And he had his band yes, with him. Yes, the full band. Yes, there he had a great band. I think, I think I opened for him three times. Wow, uh, and every time he was one of those acts where. Every song, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that yeah. one. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He had so many great songs. Yes, yes. It's incredible. Yeah, that voice, man. Man. Yeah, I played, I think we I opened, we were the house band for the, do uh, you remember the Colgate Country Showcase? Do you remember those gigs? I heard about I don't know if I ever did one, but I've heard about them. We were the, we were the house band for the all the people that competed in that thing, and it was with... Kenny Rogers was the headliner wow. that night. Where, so, where were yeah, was, where were where did they host that? That was at the Horse Park oh, out in Conyers. Conyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good. It was it was us with. So we did a set and then we did the competition, and then Patty Loveless played Ooh. and then Kenny Rogers played. Wow. Played. Well, I wanted to ask so, you something. It, it, yeah. It totally, well, and this is maybe taking a, a, a left hand turn, but something that's been on my mind all day is. Tell me about you did a thing with Star Search when you were yeah. young. <laughs> T- young. T- t- speak on that for I because I, I don't know a lot of. I just heard hey Brad was on Star Search. My parents were divorced. I was at my dad's for the weekend. I was watching TV one Saturday morning and there was a commercial that was that said Atlanta will be hosting a regional Star Search audition. If you're interested, send a tape to. And I grabbed a pen and a piece of paper and wrote it down. And prior to that, so that I was 12 years old at the time, when I was 11, I went to Nashville, recorded an album 
with all Nashville players on it. It's really wow. good, except for the little kid singing. <laughs> but um, we sent a tune on there, and they called back and said, you've been invited to the live audition. So went down to Greenbrier Mall. They had the live audition. It was kind of a set up in the round, and you had to stand on the stage and sing. And the mall was completely, I felt like, you know, Debbie Gibson or something, you know. The, <laughs> Tiffany. The, the, like Tiffany. The, the, the mall was full of people, and um, I sang Johnny Be Good and um, wound up winning that competition. So I won the Atlanta competition. The next week, I had to go to a studio in Atlanta and film myself singing it. And then I didn't hear about it for months. Kind of life moved on, didn't think anything about it. And then lo and behold, I got home from school. My mom called and said, hey, the whole family's going out for dinner tonight. Make sure you're ready. So we all sit down at the restaurant. My mom said, hey, I wanted to let you know I got a call today from California. You've been invited to be on Star Search. And, you know, I about fell on the floor. So I was 12 years old. Man. Went to Hollywood. Did the rehearsals, did the episode, lost, <laughs> and uh, turned 13 the next day when I flew back to Georgia. Uh, my 13th birthday was spent flying from L.A. to Atlanta. But um, Teen- I, Teenage loser. <laughs> that's it. That's basically it. But as you can imagine, and, and yeah. look, I grew up in Alpharetta, and like you were saying mm-hmm. with Ackworth, I mean, it was a... Um, it was a Alpharetta was a small town back then. Yeah. It's certainly not like it is now. And they had Brad Williams Day in Alpharetta before I went to California. Like oh. the Channel 2 news came, that it was in the newspaper. It, I, I remember like I had to go and sing for the Board of Education for where I went to school. It was this big deal. And, uh, and then came back and then it aired in March. And it was the like there was the one and only time I went somewhere later that night, and this woman walked up to me and she said, "Did I see you on Star Search last night?" And I was like, "Yeah, that was me." <laughs> it was like, "Yeah, it was the one time I kind of felt like I felt important, and that was uh, that was it." Oh, but yeah. but I lost, so the guy who beat me wound up winning the whole thing. He was a fantastic. He was like he sang all those early Michael Jackson song Jackson Five things. He was incredible. And uh, he wound up winning the entire season. I was on the same season as Christina Aguilera, and he beat her as well. Wow. Um, but it was man, it was it was such a it was such a cool experience. I remember right before I walked out on stage, the guy, the stage manager, said to me. He leaned over and he was like, "Don't be nervous." Only about two million people are going to see this, and and I'm I'm a little kid, but I'm thinking, you know, that's, I was terrified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it was it was it was a really really cool experience. I, I mean, it's I, I bet yeah yeah. It, it, you should it, see it. As I was the same height as I am now. I'll look it up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna I'll do a side by side comparison. Yeah, I'll always say, I, I now have gray hair and no mullet. Yeah. That's the only difference. <laughs> oh, the mullet. And what year was this? That would have been 1989. 89. Yeah. So, 
It was a crazy experience. Yeah. It was really crazy. I would imagine you were a much better singer in 89 than I was a drummer in 89. So, oh, I don't so, know, man. So, unfortunately, <laughs> there is evidence. And, and so so for Christmas, I asked for this year. So I asked for a, um, a, a, a conversion kit, basically, to get VHS to digital. So I spent um, Sunday evening transferring some old VHS tapes from 1988, 89. I think there's one from 87 where I house stuff, you know. It goes mm-hmm. way. So, God, I was terrible. I had no had no anchor of, of what it, it, groove is. Much, you know, time. Where's the one? A bar. You know, <laughs> dynamics. Rhythm. Did I mention timing? <laughs> All those things that don't, you know, that I still don't have. I'm still, I'm working toward it though. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's fun to go back and watch those things. Like if you can remove yourself from it and just, it's actually a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I need to watch it several times to to get there to the, the removal part. That's the hard yeah. part. It's it's it's. But I, I I see what you're saying though, and I totally agree that it's it's it. it, it you know, regardless how far you've come, if you've made it to the mountaintop or just the ledge on the side, you, you still, you can take stock in how far you've come. No, nobody's calling me up to, to, to be a modern drummer, but, you know, there's, there, you, you look back on 30 some odd years of doing what we do, and you've got you've to sort of pat yourself on the back occasionally and, and say, hey, man, you've, 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 you keep going. You know, you've, you've, you've come a long ways, you know. You're you're proud of yourself. Pat yourself on the back and keep keep going. That's, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. Well, I, I hope that you I hope you upload some of those videos to oh, YouTube. Oh god, no. And, <laughs> and please share them with me. I'd like I'd like to see it. I, look, I've gone I've taken a lot of videos and uploaded them all to YouTube, but they're all private. Just so that if I ever need them or want to share them with anyone, I can like change it to unlisted and then share them out and and people can see them. But yeah, yeah, it's great. I and I've done this. I've done the same thing. I've had I've found a bunch of demos that I'd played on or th- things bands that I'd played in, and I've gone and kind of you know ripped a lot of those CDs uh, to uh, MP3 format and have gone back and listened to it and have been recently sending a few tracks around some people i played with on it and it's really fun to just go back and and you even think about like that period of your life of it's not just a time capsule of the music part of it you think about where you were in your life at that moment it's it's kind of cool yeah yeah to, to do it yeah, i agree with that completely So, 
I want to go back. You mentioned music school earlier. Tell me about where you studied and, and who did you study with and what were you studying? Uh, let's see. It's, I guess there's two components to that, one being music school. But before music school, there was private lessons with a, with a teacher at Ken Stanton. Uh, his name was Martin Abbott. He taught at Ken Stanton for many, many years. Um, he, I, I had, I had a desire to learn to read music, not just drum music. I really wanted to learn to read music. I bought a book called Learn to Read Music and got some of the fundamentals down. But I knew that that wasn't going to be enough. I started taking music lessons, drum lessons from Martin, and and I could play a little bit. You know, I could. You know, I was already in bands and we were gigging and this kind of thing. Uh, and this was probably going back to 92 or 93. Uh, and Martin, I've got this thing on my studio wall that I'm looking at right now. He wrote it on the back of a spiral notebook, how the note values work. Whole note, half note, all that stuff. And um, I f- framed it many, many years ago. He taught me that and some time modulation stuff, 12-8. I knew the I knew to play it how to play it, but I didn't know why it made sense, you know, against a four four time signature. How how it all sort of laid together. I think out of the years worth of lessons that I took with him, we probably actually played drums about four hours out of all of those lessons. A lot of it was how to treat your fellow musicians on a gig and how to show up on time and how to be prepared and how to how to learn songs. It wasn't about chart reading yet, but it was about learning songs and being prepared and, and, and being a responsible, dependable, working musician. And I mean, that was that was that and reading music was the biggest lessons I got out of that. So fast forward to about 98. Uh, I started at, is that right? 90, no, 96. I'm sorry. Uh, January 96, I started at Atlanta uh, Institute of Music. And uh, Craig Harbor, who you know, and Chip uh-huh. Lunsford were the, were the two drum instructors there. And um, man, what I I didn't. <laughs> there was a lot of classes. There was a lot of jazz. There was a lot of Latin playing. There was a lot of time signatures, odd meter stuff, a lot of ear training stuff. Failed all of that <laughs> miserably. <laughs> but the one thing that I took from that. Two, I, it's a one-year program, but I had to go two years because I had to half-load everything because I had a full-time job and all that stuff. So um, the biggest thing I got from that was charting, was how to chart a song. And yeah. then 25 years later, I'm still using the methods that Craig Harbor yeah. gave me. And I had a chance, that the picture that I sent you earlier today with me and Craig... He came out to a gig that I was playing with Michael Watson, who you know. Mm-hmm. I think you know Tony that plays keyboards with yeah. him a lot. He came. He was going to. Craig was filling in for me that weekend. So, how intimidating is that when your drum instructor <laughs> shows up wow. to study your playing on, you know, on on good times? <laughs> how, yeah. how does Mark end it? What not to do? And this was uh, probably not too long ago, four or five years ago. And I got a chance to tell Craig, I showed him some charts, and I was like, look look what you've done for me. And, you know, he may get that from every graduate from the school, but I, 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 he means the world to me, man. I mean, he's, he, 
Well, he's a special guy. Uh, I've played through Michael and Andy Martin. You, Andy, you, yeah. I'm sure you know. Uh, I've subbed on a lot of oldies gigs with them and played next to Craig, and he can play everything yeah. and play it really well. Yeah, really well. yeah. And smile yeah. while he's doing it. And that's it. He's just that. For everything he can do musically, the hang with him is 50 times better. Indeed. He's just a sweet guy. Indeed. Yeah. I lived, um, early on when I was in music school, I lived in Ackworth, um, and the school was in Norcross, as you know, probably an hour drive or so, and he lived in Marietta, um, East Cobb. I locked my keys in my car one night. And he happened to be leaving. It was only me and him in the parking lot. Otherwise, I was stranded and have to call my dad to come get me. So he said, hey, man, what's the problem? And I said, well, I'm an idiot. Locked the keys in the car. So we tried for a few minutes and couldn't get the car unlocked or the windows down or anything. So he said, where do you live? And I said, Ackworth. He said, well, hop in. I'll take you home. Did Just like that. Didn't hesitate. And I've, I'll re- remember that until I'm long and gone, man. I mean, he's that kind of guy, you know. So he That's called it. me probably, I don't know how many months after that, and says, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, well, it's a Saturday. I don't have a gig because I'm, <laughs> I'm not good enough yet. <laughs> I don't pay gigs. Um, so he said, would you mind helping me move today? Absolutely. You re- return favors, and Craig is... is He's that to me. Oh. Yeah, he's a sweet, he's a sweetheart. Yes, indeed. Atlanta Institute of Music is much bigger now, but at the time it was uh, they had a drum program and a guitar p- program and, and a bass program. There was no vocal programs. There was no recording program like there is now. So um, it was basically, um, you know, the Latin. There was a Latin class for each. Each semester had a, a, a Latin class, a performance class that you always played with a different guitar player and different bass player. Started out with Johnny B. Good, and I think it ended it somewhere around Hot for Teacher. And okay. you, you can imagine, you know, some, yeah. and there was a jazz performance class as well that starts with standard jazz stuff that moves into the samba stuff, and you know, this stuff is moving pretty fast, and they let you know. That even though this is fast-paced stuff, it's going to sink if you if you apply yourself. It will sink in over time, and it might be after you get out of school. I'm certainly not a jazz player, but if somebody calls one, I can fake it. You know, I'm not going to go to you know Sambuca and, and impress anybody. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though, because. You know, I, I knew where my strongest asset was, and it wasn't jazz. That wasn't my thing. But but just having that little the little fundamentals of being able to to be comfortable on a gig if if somebody calls out a jazz standard. And that and that's just like as we were talking a few minutes ago. Just like you hearing those tunes in your house growing up, you soaked all that information in that you've managed to utilize from then on. As a as a working musician, which yes. is so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really awesome. Yeah, uh, I just know a lot of people who've come through that program uh, at, at AIM and Craig, and then of course you know Tom Tom Knight, who's uh, another terrible drummer. That's just hopefully someday he'll figure out how to play. Yeah, he just. 
He's so good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I think the first time I heard about him, there was a a CD maybe or a cassette tape going around the school that was Tom playing basically a drum cover of Tom Sawyer. I, I I'm not sure how the, the the specifics of how the recording went, but and you could tell it wasn't the original version, but it was pretty close. And it's like, yeah. who's this Tom Knight guy? Oh, he's the new teacher for the level three performance class. He'll blow your mind. Yeah. And man, did he. Did he, yeah. I, I, I started playing at a church in Atlanta a couple of years before we moved. Tom was playing drums on it. I remember the, just the first tune I played with him. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I like, It's like taking your groove in for a tune-up. You know, it's like... You don't ever have to be concerned about where the pocket is because he's got it. Yes. It's right there. Yeah. yeah. Just a great player. He played a thing. It was at a, I think it was at a Borders bookstore around the corner from the music school. And it was him and Randy Hexter, from, mm-hmm. who was also an instructor at AIM. And Carl Culpepper, I think, was on the gig. Basically, a bunch of teachers from school. You know, for a kid that grew up listening to Hank Williams Jr. and 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 you know, ELO, what the what is this? I like it, but what is it? And then that was my introduction to who Dave Weckl was and the whole you know connection with Dave and Tom Knight, how he was, you know, sort of a you know totally influenced by Weckl and all that stuff. So I left that bookstore and 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 bought us the bi- or the biography on Steely Dan. Because I'd always heard about Steely Dan, and knew the Jeff Percaro connection, and you know, and then as I'm flipping, I'm reading Steely Dan changed my life, you know. After especially after reading the book, you know, you you sort of kind of know the music, but you don't know the magnitude of all the players that played on. Everybody that contributed to that stuff became my heroes. Jim Keltner, you know. Jim, Jim Gordon. Jim Kelton. Jim Gordon. <laughs> you know, Picaro, Bernard Purdy. Bernard Purdy. Picaro, yeah. yeah. Rick Murata. I mean, there's a couple of names. There's uh, uh, Jim Hodder, I think, was the original drummer that played on the first two records, I think. I mean, it's insane how good that stuff is. It is. It's just songwriting, performing, and production on another level. Yes, yeah. Do you like the later stuff with Keith Carlock playing on it? I like basically anything that Keith Carlock plays drums on. Yeah. 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 I, I've gone to see him with Steely Dan a couple of times and just was completely blown away. And then Skyler and I, when we lived in Atlanta, we drove to Nashville one afternoon to go to Third and Lindsley because Keith was playing with Michael Rhodes, Brent Mason... Osnoy, oh. I can't remember who else, oh. and I had Paul Franklin was sitting at the table on this side, and Reese Winans, who oh. played with Stevie Ray Vaughan, was sitting at this table. It the whole room was full of musicians that came to hear this, and it was like, it was just an experience that I will always remember. And Skyler, he was, gosh, I think he may have been in middle school at the time, but he was already hip to Keith's playing. Skyler got a picture with him afterwards and he was just completely starstruck <laughs> meeting Keith Carlock. I uh yeah, I love I think he came into the band and honored everything that happened before him but just changed it and added this this 
new level of energy behind it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How do you feel about his playing with the band? I like it. I don't. I, I started that with a negative and didn't. <laughs> I'm talking about Steely Dan, so that's very <laughs> difficult for me to do. But I, I, I didn't fall in love with the later Steely Dan stuff. Uh, what was Two Against Nature, and there's a second one. Everything must Everything go. Everything must go. Um, yeah. Didn't love them. Didn't hate them. But it was a different. I think it was a different production. It's hard to say. You know, that's not to say that I don't like gaucho and you know the later stuff from the late mm-hmm. 70s 80s but I, yeah it was just it, it i don't know it's hard to say pinpoint exactly what it is i love donald fagan's voice not that still steely dan it's still those chord changes that we love it's still those it's changes it's something about it just still that keyboard sound yeah, yeah it didn't hit still me. those amazing guitar solos yeah, right yep keith carlock came up to barry college when we lived in rome um three, four years ago and did a performance with the school band. And I heard about it. It was kind of it was kind of one of those things where you hear about it the day of. It's kind of like when you when you hear that with uh, let's let's say um, let's Steely Dan's playing at Smith's Old Bar, but they changed their name to um, right. you know, Dog Pound or something. You know, it, it, yeah. and only three people know about it. Only the important people know about it. You know, well. Evidently, I was in Portland that night because me and my buddy Sean and another guy went, and there was maybe twenty other people in the auditorium, and they played. He played with the school band. I think he was friends with, and you may know the horn player, uh, who's the music director at Barry. Is it Sam Skelton? Yes, maybe? yes, yeah. That's okay. That's, and yep. I, I may have his title wrong. Maybe that's not his. Maybe he's not affiliated with Barry. But he was. It was because of him that. Mm-hmm. Carlock was there that night, and he played with him as well. So, here's my Keith Carlock story. I was going to play a gig one night, and was going to miss his performance at the Velvet Note in Alpharetta. Oh. Him, him, Tim Lafave, and Wayne Krantz were playing at the Velvet Note. Skyler was coming with me to to my gig. My big thing with Skyler through the years is I like to get drum heads signed for him. He has a bunch of them. So I got on Keith's website and sent a message and was like, hey, I'm not sure if you could get the message to Keith. I have a gig. I want to get a drum head signed for my son. I was wondering if I might be able to stop by during sound check and let my son say hello to you. He met you in Nashville years ago. Within five minutes, I get an email back from Keith that said, hey, absolutely, we'll be there at such and such time. Come on by. If someone's at the door, ask them to let you in. We walked through the door. He knew who we were. Skyler, at that point, was thinking about going to North Texas. So they talked about North Texas a little bit. He signed a drumhead, spent some time with him. Wayne Krantz was dialing in his settings, and I was so mesmerized watching him play guitar. (laughs) Keith was a complete sweetheart to Skyler. He didn't have to do any of that, but he did. And to me, that just showed me everything I needed to know about him. It was awesome. Yeah, to me, it make it, it it it's because of people like that that that, that inspire. How old was uh, your son at the time? Scott, how, he was probably seventeen. Yeah, six, seventeen somewhere around there. And look what that you may know. have, you know, that may have steered him down a path. You know, sure. Uh, if nothing else, it steered him down a path of, of of just being cool and being nice and being friendly to people. You know, That's Keith it. Carlock That's at exactly. the time was probably. A, a name artist, he could have easily said, "No, no, 
you know, not replied to the email or, or re- ignored you right. altogether? You I mean, know? at this point, he had he had toured with James Taylor, Steely Dan, uh, John Mayer, Sting. I mean, he had done all those gigs and was just like, yeah, come on by. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to, but he did. It was just, I don't know, man. It was just a really cool, yeah. it was a cool moment. I heard about him uh, through Chris Blackwell, who I'm, I'm sure you know, just from being around in town for so many I've years. I've played many, many, many gigs yeah, with him over the years. Yeah, here. love him to death. I met Chris, I later played with Chris at Cowboys, um, but I met Chris on a gig with Peachtree Station. At the time, we were in in between guitar players and just subbing it out to guys. We played downtown Marietta on the, the stage that they have set up uh, for a radio station. Big event. I don't think it was 4th of July, but it was one of those expecting a big crowd. So we ran through sound check, and we're like, who the crap is this guy? So we do sound check, all everything's set up, ready to go. We go over to, I think, Hemingway's to have a bite to eat before the gig. And it comes the torrential downpour, thunderstorm, lightning hitting everywhere. And Chris is literally under the table. I don't know if you know that he is terrified of thunderstorms. So <laughs> he is under the table. And we just met the guy. I think Scott got his number from who knows who, you know, Lance Price or somebody. So Chris is under the table. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was funny, but it was also like worrisome. You know, it was like we don't know the guy. Is he gonna right. freak out? Is he out just out of prison? We don't know. So we so the the gig didn't happen because of the thunderstorm. We got paid really well, um, and I think to this day Chris always says that was the best gig he's never played. You know, <laughs> you know whether there was a thunderstorm or not. So yeah. that was my first introduction to Chris, and then I got to know him. A couple of years, you know, various gigs like that, subbing out yeah. for, for, for work and stuff. So, yeah, I can't remember how I met Chris, but played a bunch of gigs with him over the years yeah. in a, a million different configurations, and just, just, I mean, he was incredible from the beginning. Yeah. But to watch what he has just become over the year, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. He could go play anywhere yeah. and just blow people away i mean he is just so good i think i haven't seen him in a while i went and sat in with mike veal one night and uh just couldn't get over how well he's playing with that band yeah he's just so good yeah that's right up his alley too yeah uh so when did you get the gig at cowboys um let's see 2000 and spring or so of 2005 I was living in Nashville at the time. The gig at Cowboys sort of came out, came around sort of funny. I had filled in a couple of times with a, a, a college band called Trotline, who were out of... Yeah. Do you know those guys? I, I know of that band. Yeah. yeah. And I've done a few gigs with them. Um, and Jay Johnson, who is from Cowboys and later came back to Cowboys, was playing in that band at the time. So I played a bunch of gigs with them. Their drummer left... I was living in Nashville. They called me and said, hey, do you want the gig with Trotline? We need a drummer to fill in, to, to start immediately. We play every weekend. We'll, you know, keep, you know, food in your stomach and you'll be on the road and you'll have plenty of money. And, and I was like, man, I don't want to be going from Nashville that long. I'm already playing in a corporate band in Atlanta and traveling to Atlanta almost every weekend. 
because as you know, the gigs in on Broadway and Nashville gigs don't pay that much anyway. I needed the corporate right. gig in Atlanta to to pay some of the bills, you know. Sure. So, long story short, is 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 I turned down the Trotline gig. The very next day, I'm moving into an apartment with a friend of mine. I get a phone call from Chris Blackwell. He says, "Hey, man, this is Chris," and we, you know talked a few minutes and he said well I'm the band leader at Cowboys we need a drummer starting this weekend Gary has left to play with some kind of college outfit called Trotline <laughs> so, so one gig leads to another sort of thing or, or not or not taking one gig leads to another right so I, I, I said well I'll commit to two weekends I can't take it full time because I don't want to be gone from Nashville that long you know three nights every week I'll do it for two weeks and give you time at least to, you know. To, so I learned all their their set. It showed up to rehearsal. I think we did a Wednesday night rehearsal and then a Thursday afternoon rehearsal. And um, off to the races. There we went. So after the first weekend, I pulled Chris aside. I said, you know what? I've, I've reconsidered this. I think I will take the gig if it's still open. My mom lives in Ackworth just down the street. I can stay with her on nights that I play here and just commute back and forth so that worked out for about a year until it it burnout set in from driving back and forth every you know so then I had to make sure. the decision on stay in Nashville or move back to town in Georgia and keep that gig so I moved back but, yeah. did you move to Nashville to were you going to go up there and try to land a a gig, a road gig, where you want to do session stuff? What were you hoping to get out of that? Yeah, I moved up there with the intention of doing a road gig. Um, and and really just, you know, I'm not married at the time. I, I don't have any kids. I don't own a house. There's nothing tying me down. Why not? You know? Yeah, I, sure. The only thing that was potentially holding me down, was I had a full-time job with IBM that was... You know, the pay was great, benefits were great. So I thought about it for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and I said, well, that's not what I'm wanting to do anyway. Let's take, let's just dive yeah. in the deep end and see what happens. It's close enough to home. I can still do gigs at home, either with Peachtree Station or Scott acoustic gigs, a duo gigs, or yeah. the corporate band I was still in. They, they were like, yep, go do it. See you on Saturdays at the Waverly or, you know. <laughs> at right. the Westin <laughs> and um, so yeah it worked out for a pretty good while played on Broadway a lot played a lot of travel gigs with some bands around town was very fortunate when I moved to town I met a guy on a let's say a Wednesday night and had a gig that Saturday night and didn't stop working the whole time I was there from wow. it, I mean, it just fell in your lap while you go to a bar and hang out and have a beer with somebody you don't know they mightn't be a musician or they might know a musician and which is what happened to me yeah that guy wasn't but he but he was friends with the singer that in the band that was playing that night wow that's awesome yeah boy talking about as we're talking about how ackworth and alpharetta felt like small towns when we were growing up nashville felt like a small town compared to what it is now it's incredible to me how much it's grown and when we drive from St. Louis to Atlanta, the traffic that we hit going through Nashville is unbelievable. That's what I keep hearing from people that I know and people still play up there. That's the report I get, traffic. And 
Broadway is a it's like Vegas these days, from what I hear. It's like I think I heard that over a hundred people a week are moving to Nashville. God, nuts. Which that is nuts. Ninety nine uh, of them are musicians, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Or singers, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, who all was in the band at Cowboys while you were playing there? Let's see. When I first started, it was Jeff Brewer was playing bass. Jeff Brewer, uh, Chris Blackwell, Tim Hamilton, of course. Uh, Lisa Biddy was singing. Cody Collins was the um, the guy singer. And then Bobby Mobley played with us. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Cool. Let, me, let me back yeah. up. Jeff Williams was there for... He was there about two oh. weeks after I started, and, and he was out. And then Jeff Brewer was out probably a month or so into my... Maybe I probably ran him off. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Jeff Williams was there for a while, and then uh, Bobby Mobley played there for... He was probably there the longest of, of those keyboard player guys. Uh, Jay Johnson came back into the fold after Jeff Brewer left. Chris left at some point, and do, 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 do. Mike Hines was... Mike Hines. He seems like yeah. he was always there, even though Chris was there, Mike was almost always there, and when Chris left, it seemed like Mike sort of filled that spot, and he was he was a great asset to, to Cowboys, for sure. Miss, Man, Miss Mike. that's a great... I mean, everyone you've named, all great players. <laughs> yeah, there's, great there's players. some good players up there, and it... Um, it um, you know, just like all things, it, it run ran its course, I guess, for, for yeah. all those guys, you know. You, you know, uh, I've played a ton of gigs with Bobby Mobley over the years, love him to death, and and love Jeff Brewer to death, Chris, of course, that we talked about, <clears throat> and Jay Johnson, and I, I, don't, I can't say enough nice things about Jay. Um, he's, just a, he's just a great guy. Uh, I love him. Yeah, so... Here's a funny story with Jay, and I'm like you. I love him. He's a, a true brother. So um, they let the, after I think two and a half years or so, they were cleaning house, and I was unfortunate. They let me go. Of course, it, Jay was the band leader at the time, and Jay was, had to break the news to me, and you know, I I didn't say anything out of hand or inappropriate to him, but I think he 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 perceived whatever I said as a a blow to him which it never was it just it probably came out with you know piss and vinegar or whatever you know you know what I mean you get fired from yeah. anything you know um, but I didn't talk to Jay for not because we weren't on speaking terms there was no reason to talk to him he had a house gig I didn't I didn't go to you know so I didn't talk to him probably for a year so one day out of the blue I said I'm gonna call Jay See what he's doing. We're friends. We're pals. So I called him up. He's like, uh, hello, are you mad at me? Are you around the corner? Are you going to stab me? I was like, no, Jay, I've never had any ill feelings toward you. He's like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so it, within about three days, um, there was a guy from Macon, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he used to play at Southern Comfort in the South Side a lot. Singer, guitar player. And you probably is friends with Chris? Yes, probably. Is, is, is it is it Wesley Robinson? It, it's Wes's counterpart. Uh, it, it, not it, buddy. That oh, what's his name? Um, buddy, buddy, he, in the same family as Wes Robinson and that whole group of guys. So that guy used to use me a lot on some gigs at um, uh, in down in Macon. So a couple of days after I had called Jay out of the blue, 
the guy calls me and says, hey, can you, you know, find me a bass player? I said, yeah, I'll call. You know, I know who exactly to call. Fresh on my mind. So I called Jay. He said, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, cool, I'll drive. So we get almost to Macon, and he starts asking me about the Cowboys stuff. And, you know, I tried to reassure him that there were no hard feelings at all. So we do the gig, and we decided to get a room that night. And by now, it's 2 a.m., you know how that goes. So his wife calls, and she says, did Mark take you down there just to dump you in a ditch somewhere? <laughs> my, my plan is coming to fruition. She was a little oh, skeptical. So you know, she was a little skeptical of, of what this whole, you know, Friday night thing is all about down in Macon. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know, you're riding with the enemy. It <laughs> is funny. You you call him out of the blue and then call him about a gig and then suddenly the gig turns into an overnight thing. Yeah, she probably yeah. thought that you were. He's, he's not coming home. Yeah, wouldn't you think that? I would. Yeah. I guess if you know, if he could have just drove. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah, the gig didn't exactly. pay that much. I don't know. <laughs> I uh, I think, and I my memory may not be correct on this, but I believe that you and I may have played drums in the same band for a little bit. Did you play some? He had a band called Blue Denim. Did you play any in that band? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with Jay. Yeah. And Michael Watson. Yep. Yep. I played. I I could have. I could have been subbing for you uh, on some gigs. Uh, I've I played a handful of gigs on drums with them. I was probably subbing for you, subbing for me, and you know, <laughs> and on it goes. The first time I met Michael Watson, oddly enough, back to that Spotline, the college band that I turned down for the Cowboys gig, the the band leader of Kenny Strickland, but no relation. Kenny hired Jay to put together a corporate band to do some weddings and stuff. I'm not sure how Michael Watson got brought into this but we went to do a rehearsal at michael's place and your name pops up I'm like holy shit how do you know how do you know brad and i mean how does this whole six degrees of you know how how does this all connect we're all connected somehow how do you know him yeah. tell me the story of how you know michael because I, I don't know if he ever you know michael i don't so, not sure if he ever clearly explained how he knows you i played drums at a church in duluth with Andy Martin on bass. Uh, Steve Cunningham was the guitar player. I'm trying to think. Louis Stefanel played percussion. Larry Jackson played sax. Great band. When Steve would be out of town, Andy would get Michael to come and sub on guitar. Because yeah, I think Michael and Andy have been playing together for many, many years. What was funny was that I played drums in that band but when Andy had to miss, there was a guy that went to church there that played drums. So he would play, and then I would play bass to sub for Andy. So Andy would hire me to sub for him, or he would hire me to play drums on their gigs. And and so they would they had some corporate gigs that they would do and weddings and stuff like that. And I would always that's how I really got in with Michael. And started playing with him. I see. And uh, just think the world of him. He's yeah. so funny. Yeah. He still does a Wednesday night gig out at Gustin's in Woodstock. I don't know if you've played that place. It's been Gustin's for a long time, but it was. I the, played there when it was the firehouse. Yes, yes, yeah. First time I played there, it was the firehouse, too. So Michael 
probably four or five years ago called me and says, hey, we've got a house gig on Wednesday night. We've got a full-time drummer, but he's not going to be here for a year. <laughs> Do you want a year's worth of Wednesday night gigs? <laughs> but <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Playing Saturday in the park and, you know, a yeah. bunch of cool stuff. They had a singer that was that sort of leaned toward the Yacht Rock thing before it was sort of becoming popular. But like, that was, they were doing Reeling in the Years. You know, you, you had me at Reeling in the Years, you know. I think that's it, it was, yeah. Oh, they did uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. You know, that's no easy feat. Even even if fake it till you make it kind of thing, it's, uh, it's tricky. Yeah. Every drummer's sound check riff. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael Watson. Jay, Michael Watson, Blue Denim absolutely filled in for you and you filled it. I'm not sure who was the drummer in that band. <laughs> well, what's funny, so I did that, and then a bunch of gigs later, I mean, I, I mean, Michael used to call me for all kinds of stuff. I remember one time he called me, he was like, hey, our lead singer's not going to be able to be at the gig. Can you come and sing? <laughs> I don't need you to play anything. I just need you to front the band. I'm like, okay. okay. I showed up with a microphone. And a cable wow. and a stand, and that's all I did. That stood there and sang all night, which was a lot of fun. But what was really cool was that when we moved to Louisiana, Michael called me one day and said, "Hey, listen, I am playing in this band, this corporate band, and we're getting a bunch of work in Louisiana. Would you want to play with us?" So I first gig I played bass with them, and then their drummer left. And then I started playing drums every time they had a gig. They would drive from Atlanta to Louisiana to play. We had a blast. Yeah. Anytime I could hang out with Michael, it's just, and, just a treat. And Jay Johnson was on these gigs as well? No, Jay was not on these gigs. Um, Jay's company was, was booking these gigs. Yes, yeah. Either, yes. either uh, through the Trotline guy, probably. Yeah, or music, exactly. music Garden was, they had their hand in that at, at some point. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So then I moved to St. Louis, tell Michael that I've moved to St. Louis, and he goes, oh, that's where my corporate office is. So his business does a, where he works, they do an event every year where everybody that works there plays in the band, huh. all of his co-workers. Well, they didn't have a drummer, so he hired me to come and play drums with them. <laughs> Then I met his co-worker, and I've started playing with him here. I'm playing a few, a handful of gigs now that we're living here. I'm usually playing drums with, with them, and uh, I met him through Michael Watson. It's just amazing how he, he, he's like been every step of, of this. Yeah, it just popped in my head. I didn't know you were a drummer until I met Michael Watson, and he mentioned you playing drums on some gigs. I'm like, what? He, he's got another talent? <laughs> no. Wow. No, no, I just own drums, dude. Just, that's all it is. And you don't mind carrying them and setting them up. No, yeah. That's it. Yeah. I don't. Um, what are you doing Friday? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the road is winding, and I don't mind it. I ain't the quitting kind. It'll be just like I said. I'm a stubborn thoroughbred Staring down the finish line Sometimes I'm tired and weary But don't you 
so then somewhere along the way, you and I met each other. You uh, started playing with Across the Wide, man. Uh, and what a what a treat that was for me to get to play with you. Yeah, a lot. that was that was. Um, Tim Hamilton called me out of the blue one day and says, "Hey, man, uh, I got I'm working with this band called Across the Wide." mostly Forsyth County area, Mark and Jody, and oh yeah, Brad Williams. I said, I'm in. <laughs> I don't know those other two losers, but I'm in. <laughs> Tim, and, Tim, and, Tim and Brad in the same band, yeah. Yeah, it's, they just, they, <clears throat> and it's funny, you're, I mean, listening to you tell your story of what you were hearing growing up and everything, that, I mean, we, they were kind of, they kind of had the same path listening to what kind of music they were listening to, and but they're just... They just play country music the right way, you know. It's just, it's incredible how they just, they just feel it, and they just play it with a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, the day I, from the day I met them, I'm just like, yeah, this is it. And it was the same way with, with you, man. It was like I don't understand how I went through all of my life of playing music and had never played with you, and then when I did, it was just. It was just like our heartbeat was the same with it. It was just, it was great. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think it happened at the right time. Had we met on some other gig that didn't mean as much, I I think I could tell early on, probably within two or three gigs, that you and Mark and Jody are something special together. And I think that I knew that about you. I I don't know how or, or... because I didn't know Mark or Jody coming into this, and I didn't know that you didn't grow up with them. But at some point early on, I figured out that Mark and Jody were have been a couple for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. And I yeah. think that I picked up early on. I picked up on the fact that you you placed a, a true value in in what you had with them. If that if that makes yeah. any sense. So no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I placed. I placed value in you placing value on them. Read into it, but I, and I got something out of that, you know. And now, you know, a week or two into playing, you know, let's say ten gigs in, I'm feeling this this brotherhood of these three guys, and now I'm they're they're I'm in it. I feel like I'm a part of it, you know. Yeah. And that was pretty early on. With, with, there was there was a lot of camaraderie there between you guys, and I think I was welcomed into it with open arms pretty quick. I, I think I, I, you know. T- tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> tell me all the stories no, you, you said. <laughs> tell me. No, you're absolutely correct in that. In that, it, you know, being able to play is. I mean, of course, there's so much importance on that, right? But no drama, no BS. The hang is good. You know, I heard someone say one time, you should never play in a band with someone that you wouldn't ride in the car for eight hours with. And there's a lot of truth in that. And, and you know, when I first started playing with those guys, whether intentional or not, they always invited me to ride to the gigs with them. We played, we'd play in like Fayetteville or somewhere that was like an hour away. We'd all meet up and we'd ride in the, car together to play these gigs and laugh and tell stories and stuff and it just it was there was so much importance on the the personal connection with each other and then it immediately translated to the chemistry of the music and yeah man i mean they're they're the just like you man you guys are the brothers that i had to wait 40 years to have and uh 
yeah, it's just, it's really special to me. Yeah, and, and I'll piggyback back on what I was saying before I kind of got off track, but um, um, God, I lost my train of thought. What's the next question? <laughs> I mean, just like that, man. It happens. It, it totally happens. What was I going to say? I don't know. Um, no, I, you were just going to talk I, about how much you love playing with me. I think is what you were going to say. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. It's, it was it's yeah. something else. No, I, well, yes, I do. That is um, that is definitely a fact. I mean, now it's made public. Now, now everybody knows. Great, darn it, man. I'm yeah, sorry I, I, I think there's something special that uh, I, I feel it when we play together. I don't know what it is. It's not the amount of notes. It's not. You ain't, you're not way up here on the, you know, on the neck, or is that down? I, I don't know. I, you know. So you know what I mean. I mean, it's 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 those milliseconds in between the beats that you'll wait. Don't be in a hurry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I, I've had to learn that, uh, and I still work at things, and I still subconsciously think late and early. You know, it's it's, it's you know, uh, but. I also know if I'm not thinking of those things, then 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 I'm off the rails, you know. But but I do know the value in playing, finding a zone and just sinking in it. But taking a long time to to get. You know. What do you look for as a drummer? What do you what do you like for a bass player to do? Stand on my hi hat side. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of bass players say, "Well, why would I do that?" Well, I say, "So you can see my foot." Yeah, see your foot. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what we're. It's all about those two things, right? No, yeah. No, I, that's a little exaggeration, but I do ask bass players where if if they ask me where am I going to stand, I say right there next to, on my left. Yeah. Um. Somebody that listens to wow, that's a big question, man. That's that's. Um. Somebody that plays feel and time rather than notes, you yeah. know. Don't I, I always say don't play the play play the song. Don't play the bass. Yeah. If I want if, if I want to hear drums, I'll go to a Rush concert. I want to hear guys that play the song, and and you know maybe there's a few things that can happen for movement, but I don't need to hear this stuff. On bass, yeah. you know, play the song and play with me. Yeah, that's it, and you know, it, it's pretty simple. It is, and 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 of course that translates well to the kind of music that we've been talking about with you know playing traditional country music because there's a lot of simplicity in that. But I think it, I think it transcends that, and it can be said about anything in that playing to the song don't not being a distraction from the lead vocal or the the if someone's the lead instrument if there's a solo just getting out of the way of all of that yeah. is is more important yeah, yeah. It's definitely I, a no, I, supportive role i mean you're playing a supportive role uh, yeah but but yeah i mean i guess that'd be the, the that's my final answer um yeah, just just you know, just play with the drummer. You know, if I hit two times, maybe most of the time you're 
probably going to hit two times. And pay attention to that stuff. If if it's cha- if a pattern changes from verse to chorus, move a little bit with that pattern. That's because it. use these things that are on your head. You know. Yeah, and, and I so when I was in college, um, this would have been in the '90s. A guy who was a good friend of mine was an incredible bass player, and started playing. A little bit with Shannon Forrest. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's okay. Uh, if, you, yeah. if, if you like that kind of playing. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember someone telling me when he had first moved there, they were like, "He's the Jeff Procaro of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Like he is. He's un- unbelievable." But my buddy played some gigs with him, and right out of the gate, Shannon was like, "I'd love it if your pattern would only be what my kick drum's playing." And you know what? It just kind of stuck with me. And I'm like, you know what? Bass players don't really need to play much more than that. Just play what the the, the drummer's kick pedal is doing, and you'll be okay. Yeah. And, and that goes for most styles of music that that you and I enjoy, that, that, yeah. that, that working musicians at this level play. You know, if it's a Steely Dan cover, it's probably going to be the same rule. If you play yeah. Hank Williams, you know, covers... Probably going to be the same way. Pretty it's going to probably it's be the same. Pretty way. simple. I mean, if I, I, drummers are guilty of things as well, you know, over trying to make it too complex and interesting, and I'm going to blow their minds with. Not on this Pat Benatar tune. You're not. Just just no. play the groove. Just play time, and you know, support the girl singing. You know. Yeah, that's it. That's really it. Yeah, yeah just. So, yeah. Supporting the uh, supporting the vocal. Yeah. That's really it, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you need from it? What do you look for in a drummer? Um. So it's a good question, and I think I think there are times where the the drummer needs to lead the dance, and there are times where the bass player needs to lead the dance, and I think knowing that push and pull a little bit, where maybe. Maybe we're going to play on the back of the beat just a little bit on the verse, and we're just going to sit a little bit on the front of it during the chorus. And uh, I, I just, going back to standing next to your hi-hat, just a good, solid subdivision of where that beat is, man, and that's that's it. So you, and just so you want to be over there more for the hi-hat, or, or is it both? It's both. Okay. I like to... I like to I like to feel what the subdivision of the beat is, and then, of course, yes, yeah, seeing what that what the foot is doing, mm-hmm. especially especially if we haven't played with each other much or we're still learning, yeah. learning. And uh, the other thing I, I I think there's a lot of value in, and is that if a bass player and a drummer have not played together before or much, immediately hanging as soon as you get to the gig, and just kind of find some common ground yeah yeah and and just just kind of feeling some instant brotherhood or brother and sisterhood or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be yeah and that once you're on the bandstand that's gonna it's gonna be apparent in playing the music together yeah i think you and i had that even though we knew each other i think we knew each other from afar for 15 years or whatever it might be it was yeah. always like, oh yeah, I know Brad Williams. I'll see him and wave and say, "How are you?" But we had never hung out, and there's no better time to learn than the Georgia South Carolina rest stop. 
<laughs> the first gig you know? we did. I don't know where we so, hang out, hung out, probably around the map section. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it, because there was not a lot of traffic around the map section, thanks to all of our smartphones. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, that was truly the, the, very, the first time we truly hung out for more than than a hello and you know good to see you yeah. kind of got thing but yeah that you're right about that the hang is super important but because it the bass and drum they should they should ride in the back of the van together <laughs> yeah that's really it yeah just just kind of have that connection before uh before they're on the bandstand playing <coughs> yeah playing tunes together i think that's i think that's really important mm-hmm. so yeah yeah and 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 i you know it helps for the drummer to be handsome like you are. I mean, that's important <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's tough. Like I said, my two older brothers didn't get much of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad that one of you did. Man, we beat each other up. Oh, I love having brothers. They're so much fun. Well, Mark, I love you, buddy. And uh, this has just been a, a complete pleasure. And uh, I just I appreciate you uh, spending some time looking at my ugly face for a while and uh i've enjoyed looking you. at your ugly face for a while it's been fantastic no you're, you're <laughs> just as handsome as ever and i love you dearly and i wish you'd move back so well kiss kelly for me and uh i love you and uh thank you bud love you too brother all right See ya. thanks for listening to the bandwich tapes i'm your host brad williams the show's theme is called placation and was written by Mark Mundy. Drop me a line at the email address, thebandwitchtapes at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to receive new episodes of the podcast. And while you're at it, please tell someone else about the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>